Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 368. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor for 2018, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 368. A few weeks ago, I spent three wonderful days in Denver, where I reconnected with my Slow Flowers friends and met many new ones. I was there as a guest of the Denver Botanic Garden, returning for a second time as a featured presenter in the Bonfee Stanton Lecture Series. The 2018 lecture series titled The Edge of Art and Gardens was wonderful, and I send a hats off to the educational staff, including Director Matthew Cole and Associate Director Sarah Olson and the other amazing staffers for making me feel welcome and for running such an excellent program. Slow Flowers was the program in September, and it involved a lecture that I presented titled American Beauty. The Denver Botanical Garden videotaped the lecture for me to share with you. You can find the link to watch very soon at deborahprinzing.com, hopefully later this week. As part of the Denver Botanic Garden's commitment to bring its members into the larger community of horticulture and nature, the educational team asked me to help develop a series of field trips and workshops on flower farms during my time there. I was so pleased to showcase three farms that mean a lot to me, including Slow Flowers members Red Daisy Farm and City Gal Farms, as well as the Fresh Herb Company, which is featured in the pages of the 50 Mile Bouquet. We spent one day at the Fresh Herb Company in Longmont, Colorado, home of Chet and Christy Anderson, for an extensive farm tour and catered lunch from a local farm-to-table purveyor. Lunch beneath the cottonwood trees. What could be a better way to cap off Chet's personalized flower tour of the fields, greenhouses, and packhouse at the Fresh Herb Company? As you may recall, in addition to appearing in articles and books I've written, Chet and Christy are past guests of this podcast. I'll share a link to that episode for you to have a listen, especially if you missed it the first time. The following day, we had two tours on the schedule. I'll tell you about our visit to Red Daisy Farm in Brighton, Colorado first. Meg McGuire and Terry Bauman own Red Daisy Farm, where they grow beautiful cut flowers to sell to florists and to DIY brides. They operate an equally beautiful Airbnb on the farm, and they open up their barn for regular sales of antiques, collectibles, and regular vintage finds managed by Meg and her sister. The Denver Botanic Garden Group gathered for a farm tour with Meg, followed by a delicious lunch and a hands-on floral design workshop that I taught, and we used gorgeous flowers, herbs, and foliages from the farm. Meg is a past guest of this podcast, so check out the link I'll share in today's notes for you to return to her story featured in our interview from 2016. We had a sold-out attendance at the Fresh Herb Company and at Red Daisy Farm, and I'm so pleased that more people in that community connected with locally grown flowers in a significant way by meeting the people behind the flowers. That's authentic, and it beats any expensive marketing campaign, folks. Well, our final tour was set for City Gal Farms, owned by Kim Burton and her husband, Ken, based in Lakewood, Colorado, just outside Denver's city limits. I was so excited to see Kim's operation because she had invited us to visit during harvest and production during City Gal's regular bouquet-making sessions for their markets. And Denver Botanic Garden had been promoting the Slow Flowers programming for months, which is why when one week prior to the tour, a summer hailstorm hammered City Gal's farms, which was so devastating for Kim and for the rest of us. 
She posted photos of the hail damage on her Facebook page and wrote this, Late Wednesday, our farm got hit with hail, rain, and wind. Most of our orders had thankfully been harvested, and while not everything was destroyed, our plants took a pretty heavy beating. Thankfully, we have a good team that jumped into action, and we are babying them back to health. Getting hit with hail is never good for farmers, and we join the roster of many Colorado farmers who have been affected by hail this year. Getting hit in the biggest wedding month of the year, when our opportunity to turn a profit, is painful. Still, we love what we do and the little bit of beauty we bring. Thanks to our amazing crew and customers who continue to support our farm. We are humbled by your dedication. So that tour on the 13th of September was regrettably canceled. But the good news is that City Gal Farms is bouncing back like so many others have done. In fact, similar wind and hailstorms hit Red Daisy Farm twice this year, last spring and early summer, damaging their hoop houses and destroying huge swaths of flowers. And of course, the Fresh Herb Company a few years back was flooded and practically destroyed with the residual mud flow from that disaster, wiping out nearly a full season's production. But these farmers do bounce back. There's passion and true grit behind what flower farmers do day in and day out. And I'm so proud to be in this community where we can support one another, share ideas, dreams, resources, and experiences. I'm also committed to helping those in the Slow Flowers community tell their stories. So today, that story comes from Kim Burton of City Gal Farms. She has taken a path that will resonate with many of you, one that is deeply personal uh, with a narrative that led her from a corporate background to a life connected with the land. I love how Gina Hemmings of Moss Flower, a City Gal floral design customer and Slow Flowers member, describes the farm on her website's Meet the Grower page. Gina writes, Hidden in plain sight, City Gal Farms is an urban farm and farmhouse retreat available via Airbnb, located just five miles west of downtown Denver. Kim grows classic and beautiful focal flowers such as dahlias, lisianthus, and garden roses using organic methods. She's also growing interesting foliage and accent flowers, including bells of Ireland, raspberry and blackberry vines, scented geranium, herbs, and delphinium. On summer weekends, you can find Kim at the Union Station and Pearl Street Farmers Markets in Denver. So let's jump right into the conversation that Kim and I recorded just one week after the hailstorm. I know you'll be impressed and inspired. And please visit DebraPrinzing.com for today's show notes, episode 368, to see photos and find all of City Gal Farm's social places. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so happy today to welcome my guest, Kim Burton of City Gal Farms in Denver. Hi, Kim. Hi, Deborah. Thanks for sitting down with me. I'm here in Denver, and you were on my wish list for someone I really wanted to spend time with and just hear about City Gal Farms, because it's you're in an urban setting, and it's so unique. Um, not, not exclusive. Other people are doing it, too. But in general, city farms are unique and not that frequent. So I'd love to have you give us a snapshot of your farm and your business and kind of size and scale and market and just just dive in and give us the story. Sure. Well, first of all, thank you for having me. Oh, my pleasure. Um, It's a great honor to spend some time with you. And thank you for what you do for uh, local flowers in this uh, country. You're really helpful to uh, farmers everywhere helping to to promote flowers. Oh, thank so, you, Kim. So thank you. It's my pleasure. I'm, uh, I'm very fulfilling. <laughs> Good. Yeah. So City Gal Farms, uh, we established uh, five years ago, originally as a vegetable farm and then migrated to cut flowers. Mm. We are located in Lakewood, Colorado, which is a suburb about 15 minutes west of central Denver. So it's literally 15 minutes to downtown Denver. Yeah, you're in the city, basically. We're basically in the city. Wow. And uh, our farm is a a very intensively uh, managed farm on uh, our whole property is just under an acre. And the amount of space we grow is is probably not quite three-fourths of an acre. Wow. Including all of our buildings and uh, operational areas. Had you lived there for a long time before you started the farm? No, we actually moved to this location. My husband and I lived in central Denver. Mm. Uh, We had a... A postage stamp yard that I 
over the years took up all the grass and <laughs> tried to grow on every single inch in that postage yard and just one day said, I can't take this anymore. I need more land. I want more land. And, wow. Uh, you know, just to delve a little bit, at that time I was going through a pretty major life transition mm-hmm. and uh, kind of woke up one day and said, if we don't do this, if I don't do this now, at, you know, the age I'm at, when am I going to do right, this? Right, right. And so wow. it's just an itch. And if you don't, you'll always look back and regret yeah. making not making that decision. I heard someone say once that there are things that you have to do in life, and then there are things that you must do. Mm. And this, for me, fell in that category. Mm. Wonderful. So you got a little more land, even though it's within the urban core, right? Yeah, you know, uh, it seemed like a lot of land, but when you start farming, you quickly learn there's never enough land or uh-huh. seems like there's never enough right. land. Uh, we're certainly smaller than what I'd like to be. Mm-hmm. Um, but we've learned to work within our constraints. We've learned over time how to maximize the space on our mm. on our land to mm-hmm. grow things very intensively. One of the interesting early lessons I learned is uh, honestly, not to trust seed packets mm. about spacing mm-hmm. because, you know. If you did, you'd have half of what you're growing or something like that. You would have, yeah, less than half. Mm. And not to say that what they're saying is wrong. It's not. It's just that when you're growing a plant for uh, continual cutting versus landscape mm. and, and, and mm-hmm. presence, mm-hmm. if you will. More ornamental versus more productive. Ornamental, yeah. Exactly. Then it's a different requirement. Interesting. So give us a snapshot of your property. Before we turn on the recorder, you said uh, you don't have any structures that you're growing inside of. It's all, is it all field grown? It's all field grown. Okay. So wow. we're really subject to the elements. Yeah. Because we're in the city, uh, putting up structures would subject us to some pretty um, intensive uh, additional um, permitting, code or, and yeah. permitting mm-hmm. aspects that make it uh, a little daunting. Uh, another cost and and a pretty pretty significant investment we haven't ruled it out Uh, we are exploring putting up a hoop house Mm -hmm. Uh, but uh, to give you a sense of our farm we have um, one of the things that we have that we're extremely fortunate to have um, is ditch rights and in Colorado water Mm. is 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 as important as as land when you're thinking about growing uh, so we have ditch rights. Uh, that water flows straight from uh, Clear Creek right off Rocky Mountains. Wow. It's not treated in any way. And we feel that is uh, very beneficial to our plants in helping them grow uh, and, and be very healthy. Yeah. So we grow, we push the spacing pretty uh, aggressively on our plants, but we also feed them quality mm-hmm. water. Uh, we grow organically, even though we're not organic certified. We use organic methods. We really believe in uh, treating our plants and our soil uh, well. Wow. And so how do you, uh, I, I'm just, I know, I, I know, I think I know what ditch rights means. It's like the natural flow through your land, or is the ditch at the basically edge of your land? You, it, our, our ditch runs in front of our property. Okay. And basically ditch rights um, are, give you... Uh, a legal right to access water for a particular amount, mm-hmm. uh, an amount over and, time. And use, yeah. yes. How do you pull it out of the ditch? We have a pump. Wow. That pumps it into a tank. We okay. have a water tank on our property. And we have a control system that enables us to um, direct how much water goes to each zone. Mm-hmm. So even though our property is fairly small, we're divided into about 13 zones. Wow. And so we can direct a particular zone to have, you know, 30 minutes of water mm-hmm. a day versus 30 minutes of water every three days. So you're like doing the typical thing with that gardeners learn, which is right plant, right place, or grouping plants with somewhat similar needs we together. To. Or, it's, yeah. a, it's a lot to balance. You know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, I'm already thinking 13 zones. Oh, my God. <laughs> um it, it really helps us think about our, our crop planning in those mm-hmm. kind of manageable sure. palettes, if you will. Sure. And we do try to group things. Uh, we, we have zones that are all dahlias, for mm-hmm. example, zones that are all roses, because those 
watering needs for those plants are very different. Right. We grow um, this year. We we actually scaled back our um, just a slight diversion. Talk about pushing spacing. Mm-hmm. We we found last year we pushed our spacing a little too much, mm-hmm. and. It's one of the, those things that's kind of difficult to know. It's like trial and error, right? It is a yeah. trial and error. You have to research, and of course, we share and learn from other farmers. That's our one of our key ways of yeah, learning, right? Uh, but everything is uh, is really particular to where you are, your mm. soil, your conditions, your and exposure, so all of it that. Really yeah. varies quite a bit. So in a um, I have so many questions, but let me just stop and think about, you mentioned dahlias, roses, and like, what are your other primary crops? And and it sounds like there's some permanent plantings like perennials and then some annual plantings. Yes. Okay. So our primary crops are uh, focal flowers, Mm -hmm. dahlias, roses, lisianthus, and then we grow uh, about 50 other types of other flowers. It varies year to year. Okay. We grow primarily for the wedding market. We sell to um, a lot of the Denver Metro florist and event, wedding event designers. Mm-hmm. And that's kind of how we gear our, our palette each year. Right. Is for that segment. We also sell to consumers at um, farmer's market. And this year we started, uh, started doing a little bit of design work ourselves mm-hmm. and selling to um, brides who want to design their own events, and so, so they would like buy 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 bulk bulk flowers or something. We 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 have a bulk bucket offering. We also have an offering where we will design, say, the key pieces, say the bridal bouquet and the boutonnieres, and they could design the centerpieces mm-hmm. or the arches. So it's a it's a la carte a, kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. We, we we have options. I was just thinking when you're talking about who you're selling to with the the wedding and event designers and florists, probably retail florists and studio florists, that your location is one of your competitive edges, being close to those city-based designers, right? We think so. Yeah. We think we provide a, a real advantage. Uh, we have, you know, things happen. Yeah. And uh, right before I got here, I had a phone call from my customers. Hey, any way I can pick up such and such tomorrow? Yeah. Sure can. Yeah. We'll have it ready for you. Well, it, it's the curse and the blessing that you live on your farm, right? <laughs> they know it, you're there. It is. It's uh, it's uh, interesting that you bring that up because I reference that to people that come and, and visit and talk want to talk about the business of farming. And that's one of my points is that the nice thing about our business is it's in my backyard so I can run out, go check something, go do something. And it's in my backyard, and I can't really actually sit in my backyard without thinking about all the things I need to do. Uh, so it's a bit of a challenge yeah. to relax at home. Yeah. Well, I have a home-based office, too, and I'm, I'm always, like, starting dinner or doing laundry and then going back to my computer. And, uh, yeah, it's – every entrepreneur has some challenge, and that's, that's yours. Uh, do you uh, have a season? Like, what would be your first crop of the year? So, because we grow everything in the field, we right. are limited uh, in how much we can bring um, to the market in the spring. That's one of our yeah one of the things we're working on mm-hmm. is figuring out how to bring more spring crops. Mm-hmm. Our roses are one of our primary things that that kicks our season off in oh. late May, early June. I've seen your photos; they're gorgeous. You are you specializing in a particular like garden rose style or Heirloom or antique or what? What roses do you grow? We have uh, approximately four hundred rose plants on the farm. It's amazing, and uh, some of them are David Austin's. Some of them are um, hybrids. Some of them are Cortez roses. Mm-hmm. And uh, we we have learned over time that going for more of a garden look mm-hmm. is is what we're trying to do, but. It's one of those really long-lived trials, roses are. They take about three years yeah. to really establish. And I um, adopted some advice early on from another farmer about uh, letting a year, really letting a plant get established for a year. 
And it's very difficult not to cut on that growth plant for that year. But we have found in the times when I've stuck to that advice and times when I haven't, that that really gives a great start to that rose plant. And the second year is just amazing, the the plumes it will produce. Because you're letting it just get established. Letting it get and, established wow. and develop that root structure, that, that infrastructure, yeah. if you will, to yeah. produce the blooms. Yeah. Do you do bulbs at all? We have experimented with a little bit with bulbs, but have not had much success. Okay, so that's not like a big spring category for you. It's not a big you. spring category okay. for us. So what, what comes on with roses? Is it more the early spring perennials? or We have some uh, other perennials on the farm, but, uh, you know, other plants like, um, I'll have to bring up one of my favorites, which I have to chuckle about, is Bells of Ireland. Oh, yeah. It's uh, such an unsung yes. unsung. Uh, Workhorse. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, what I love about Bells of Ireland, and it's a, a little bit of an example, one reason why I love flower farming is, is that it really provides an incredible experience. Mm-hmm. You put your nose in a bouquet, uh, your average bouquet now, and unfortunately, there's nothing there. Right. But you put your nose in a bouquet of flowers grown from local f- flowers. And their scent, there, there's, it's not just the beauty; it's the full sensory experience. Right. And a bell of Ireland. I've had so many florist customers who completely discount this plant until they come to the farm, and I say, "Here, put your nose on that." What does it smell like? It smells like spring. Oh, That's so it has some of an earthy it. smell, or it's, it's fresh. If you know, well, now I got. I don't go, know. I've never grown it. You have to. No, I'm going to. <laughs> it's amazing. Um, so that's a good spring one. That's a good spring yeah, one. Yeah, yeah. And then you are growing lots of summer, I would imagine, summer annuals that uh, you're planting very closely together and filling we those are. zones. I mean, we have to, we, we, most of our season is summer and fall. Mm-hmm. Um, mm. Dahlias, again, being one of the workhorses, one of the main things we grow. Dahlias, yep. as you know, don't ship very well. Right. And uh, so it's one of the key reasons why people buy from our farm are because a lot of what we grow, it's uh, not the same product. Right. No, I agree. something shipped in. Shipped dahlias are always smashed in my experience and small too. You exactly. know, they're kind of like a, a friend was just telling me that she cries when she sees shipped snapdragons. So it's kind of the same Petal consistency that just can't hold up to shipping. So that's a they, great competitive they're very, edge. They're 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 amazingly um, complex in terms of their number of petals mm-hmm. and their form. And there's nothing that quite, in my mind, takes their substitutes for their presence. Yeah. Um, but they they don't ship well if you lay them flat, and they don't last very long. If they're out of water. Right. They'll last for a little while, right. but not days. So um, that's going on right now. Then your dahlias are in their like they'll they'll they're dominating now. They are your, the dominant crop yeah. on our farm. And then do you how do you let florists and, and event planners know what's in, what's available? Do you have like a weekly email or do they have to look? <laughs> can you train them? <laughs> I have to chuckle at that question. It's it's one of the sounds like a lot of clerical work. I'm sorry. <laughs> no pressure. Um. We have frequent emails uh-huh. with our availability. Okay. Um, but you bring up a topic that actually is one of the one of the key challenges in flower farming in general, um, but on a small scale mm-hmm. it's intensified mm-hmm. is forecasting yeah. what's going to be ready and how much is going to be ready. Mm-hmm. So one of the things that we do on our farm and we've gotten um, I've learned that it's valuable to take the time to do this is to keep very detailed production records. Mm, Okay. And uh, so I can look, okay, well, how many of this variety did we harvest two weeks ago? And I kind of know where in the cycle of the plant um, that plant is because all plants have cycles. They don't produce um, at their maximum production right from the get-go. Um, so it's kind of like a bell curve. It's kind almost. of like a bell curve, yeah. exactly. Yeah. 
when the blooms first appear to when they reach their productivity point with dahlias, in my experience, that is almost a month. Wow. Uh, the first, you know, two weeks, they're they're shooting up those central blooms. And when you're cutting those central blooms, it's difficult because you have to force yourself to cut away almost half the plant. You have to cut low and deep. Wow. To get that plant, to signal to the plant to produce more shoots. Yeah. And the blooms that you want. Wow. So is that first bloom a sacrificial bloom or just you don't have massive quantities of it? We don't have massive quantities. That's the route we take. Yeah. No, I'm, I'm interested to hear about this. Some people um, do a, a pinch. Yes. We, we do both. Okay. Pinch and non-pinch. This year, I didn't get around to pinching them all. I sent out a little bit of a panic email to my flower farming community to say, hey, I, I, I haven't got around to pinching. Is this going to be bad? Is said, it oh, too? We never get around to pinching, so don't worry about <laughs> it. Just pinch with the first plant. Oh, good. I feel good. I feel <laughs> glad about that as a gardener. I, I only have about a dozen dahlia plants, but uh, I don't even know how to do that. We have so. about 1,300. Wow. So 400 roses, 1,300 dahlias. And then what about the lysianthus? Yeah, lysanthus is another crop that we we just love. And local lysanthus is one of those plants that's just completely different. Uh, It took us the first year we grew lysanthus a lot of selling to our customers. They didn't even want to really hear about Hmm. them. Why? Because they just had a bad reputation? I I even had a customer tell me, well, I use that for foliage sometimes. I'm like, foliage? There's like 40 buds on it. I'm exaggerating. (laughs) Maybe maybe 10. Yeah. But on ship lysianthus, Mm. the buds are often smashed, Mm -hmm. damaged, and not a lot of blooms. I see. Yeah. So you're you're really, I guess your product just had to sell itself when people started to see it. It's, it's, it's. It's true. Yeah. We had to grow it. We had to market it. And as I've said to many people working with me, um, you know, these flowers are beautiful, but they don't sell themselves. Mm-hmm. And, mm. um, you know, I want to get back to the, the forecasting. Yeah, yeah. Oh, sorry. Bit, but just to just on that point, um, I do view that as my number one job. Mm-hmm. Sales. Yeah, I have to be the one driving the top line. I have to be marketing. I have to be communicating, and that's really tough when, uh, you know, you also need to be growing and producing and planning and harvesting and all those things that yeah. uh, are involved in flower farming. So you're very relational, and you have these these florists all have you on, in their phone, and they're texting you kind of in real time, right? That's that's kind of how my yeah day starts with texts and emails uh i i try to steer actually people to email because it at least it helps me from an organizational yeah. point of view documenting documenting yeah. and um you know i have a system i've developed and 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 continually work on but you know going back to that forecasting yeah thing, i want to hear more is, about that which is really <laughs> really challenging so um, how do you do you kind of have, have that you have the whole year mapped out and then you're taking my meticulous notes week by week mm-hmm. so that you know what's coming up this season or you look at last year's notes to choose it, to know what's coming up this season or is it a combination it's more about informing this season okay. because it seems like each season is different yeah uh and you know not to sound like a typical farmer that's going to talk about the weather i won't deviate on that major topic. We don't have enough time. We don't have enough time. <laughs> but last year was very different than this year. Yeah. Last year was cooler and cloudier. This year's hot and sunny. And so this year's records are more pertinent and germane, along with understanding, again, that plant cycle. Mm-hmm. And that's where experience comes mm-hmm. in and knowing how things grow on your property. So we take meticulous records by variety we sell by color. We don't sell by variety. Mm-hmm. I was just going to ask you about that, if you're yeah. selling by palette. Yes. Okay. That's and, exactly how we sell. And that's probably gives you some leeway and some flexibility within that palette. There's flexibility. And the other interesting thing is um, that flowers change over the yes, season. Yes, yes. Especially garden roses. Yes, um, I'm sure of that. I see that in my own roses. It's astonishing, isn't they it? It might go from, like, like a Julia Child rose mm-hmm. goes from deep gold to 
butter, like pale butter almost. So exactly. Yeah. So that's yeah. That's a conversation that you have to have with the customer. I guess you take a lot of photos, maybe. We take photos, uh, but we again try to. Uh, <clears throat> customers that have worked with us know that the more information they give us, we now have customers that send us mood boards. Yes. They'll say, here's our mood board. Here's the range. Yeah. I'm always asking, okay, what kind of range can you work with here? Oh, wow. But, you know, because there's also color intensity, as you mm-hmm. touched on with the rose, and mm-hmm. how saturated is the color, how muted is uh, the palette. I and feel, those are a lot of variables to, to manage. So to, yeah. to take requests by variety would just would really just not be manageable. Well, it's almost like you're a personal shopper for, you know, in the fashion industry or something. Like you have to understand the artist, artistic part of floral design and kind of par- work side by side with that florist. And that's, I hope they value that. That's amazing. It's... Uh, <laughs> It makes the job interesting, yeah. I'll say, as a as an artist myself or the artistic part of mm-hmm. me, I enjoy that part yeah. of it. Um, it's also challenging. Yeah. Um, you know, our favorite customers are customers that are very open, yeah. and they're also open to suggestions. Yeah. They'll say, hey, what do you think, Kim? What might work here? And we love those opportunities. Yeah. And if you're um, growing 50 different varieties of other flowers besides your core, you know, focal flowers... They probably don't even know, uh, you know, all that, that you can offer them. Yeah, even if we're sending out, and we do, I, I wouldn't say it's every week, but we, we send out regular availability lists. Mm-hmm. We um, we try to have our emails very picture-oriented. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and to deviate just for a moment, that in itself is a challenge. We have about five different spots on the farm where we take flowers, mm-hmm. and we find, depending on the flower, um, a particular you know tonal background is going to show the correct coloring oh, of that flower over another tonal background, and that in itself takes a lot of time yeah. on our part, and sometimes we even then we still don't get it right. It it represents. Uh, that challenge represents itself to to us also on the flip side of the coin. We're trying to source flowers, especially dahlias, right? And looking at you know what a variety is. And looking the, on a the, computer the range, screen, yeah, yeah, exactly the range of colors that show up, and it's like, what, what, where's the real dahlia here? So, what is your perfect background? Is it like a, a, a white or pale gray, or does it? Well, we actually, you know, it's interesting you bring that up. We haven't actually put a white background in place, but. We find often that uh, a gray background mm-hmm. is is a better is works for most things in yeah. showing the correct color. Yeah, I think that's. I mean, I think photographers do that a lot with their their. Um, I've worked with photographers in architecture who've had those gray scale boards that they shoot first to kind of give them a point of reference for color ranges, warm to cool. So I think that's smart. Wow. To close off on the thought, because uh, mm-hmm. I think I got a little derailed, I apologize. Oh, no, we're, I, I follow uh, every rabbit hole. <laughs> is uh, that even though we send out these mm-hmm. availability lists with photographs that we try to carefully take, um, you know, if there's a, a new thing we're trialing or something that's not typically available at wholesale or that a florist might be used to working with, they may not really appreciate what that particular element could do for their arrangement. Mm-hmm. And I'll give you a good example of that. Yeah. Hyacinth bean mm. is just such a fun vine. Yeah. We love it. It has this beautiful flower that looks uh, almost sweet pea-like. Yes, yes. Even orchid. You could yeah. describe it as a small orchid. Yes. And then the pods are funky and yeah. fun. And uh, if you haven't been out to the farm or seen this in person you may not even think about using that right as an element in your right. design oh my gosh uh, yes I love that example too because it it hits so many things on the stylistic wish list of a florist the trailing part the like what is that factor and exactly. then and then the color that's wonderful um you started to talk a little bit about selling lisianthus before I want to I want to ask you about your journey to flower farming, but let's just talk a little bit about the Lysianthus. Like, how did you get these florists to know that City Gal Farms Lysianthus were not 
not the, the one the lysianthus that they thought they knew. You know, like did you have to kind of give a lot of samples out or? Well, we certainly had to uh, coax our customers into trialing. It mm. did involve some sampling. Mm-hmm. Uh, but honestly, once you use it one time, then you're hooked. They're, they're hooked, yeah. Uh, we are now in our third year of growing Lysanthus. Wow. And just to tell you, I hadn't even put it on our availability list yet because, long story short, we put it in a new location on the farm that has delayed its flowering. And so we were later than expected mm-hmm. this year. And so I kept waiting until it was at the right time to start marketing it. But I had so many pre-orders for it that we never put, ended up putting it on the veil list because we sold out of it. Because your returning customers knew you had it. We knew, yeah. They knew from coming out to the farm, picking up product, they they would ask and would say, yeah, I think we can do that. So uh, the good news for anyone listening to this is we are going to have more than what we have sold. It's it's now harvesting it. It took a little bit of a, of a hit last week uh, in the storm, but um, yeah. it's beautiful. And yeah. we're cutting, wow. cutting it. Um, that is, that's the dream to have all those pre-orders before the stuff product has even started blooming. That's, that's a test to, that's a testament to your reputation and, and your relationship with those florists. That's amazing. Thank you. Uh, we alluded to the storm. So we are here on, uh, what is this? September 13th, Thursday, September 13th. And apparently a week ago yesterday, you had one of those freak storms in Denver that happens all summer long, right? Or maybe not. I don't know. It doesn't, actually. Okay. Uh, yes. So a week ago, we uh, had a late uh, afternoon, early evening hailstorm. It was pretty significant. Wow. There was um, even minor flooding around the farm. So much rain and hail came down at the, in a short period of time. And uh, being in Colorado, this, this is one of our weather challenges mm-hmm. However, having said that, it's usually something that we, quote, worry about in the May-June time frame. Oh, I see. So you uh, kind of thought you dodged it this we year. We don't think about it wow. in September. Mm-hmm. It's just not something that we are concerned about. We're usually concerned about early frost. You know, are we going to get through to that mid-October date this year? Right. Oh, my goodness, Because, Kim. yeah, so it was a complete surprise. Uh, well... I say it was a complete surprise. It was, it was really um, disheartening uh, to have that happen in one of our biggest wedding months. Colorado, uh, August and September are the months that we, you know, have an yeah. opportunity to turn a profit. It's where we, all our crops are really Spoken rocking for, and, yeah. and and oh, and rocking, so yeah. it just in production and so. Even if you had a little bit of notice, just the what would you have done? You know, to cover that much acreage and you know the all those zones i mean it's just you, these things are sudden in a way aren't they you wouldn't be able yeah. to yeah you know it would take a pretty rigid structure to withstand the force of hail right i saw on your instagram feed that you're already posting beautiful cafe au lait so <laughs> so tell it tell everyone what you the comment that you wrote i thought was very like you're finding the positive in this i love it what else can you do? <laughs> well, you have to as a, I think when you're, when you're uh, a small business owner and when you're in farming and then when you're in flower farming, if you're not looking at the optimistic side <laughs> of the equation, you, you probably just need to stop. Because You'll be in a fetal position under so, your desk. <laughs> there are so many risks and yeah. challenges yeah. in this business. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so yeah, we we posted on our Instagram. Uh, we weren't quite sure we were gonna have enough product to come to market last Sunday. We were at Pearl Street Market, and uh, we love our Pearl Street Market fans, and they love us, and and we were just so grateful that mm. there were the survivors, and so you know. Beyonce's Survivor song came and we're just, we're singing and we're just like, okay, it's going to be fine. They're going to be fine. Everything's going to be fine. And I wasn't really sure up until about two days ago, is this really going to be fine? But uh, things are already bouncing back. Wow. We, we have a great, uh, you know, we're very small. We don't have full-time employees, but we have some very dedicated part-time employees that have been with us a couple of years now. 
and really just jumped into action. We immediately, um, uh, like the next day, as soon as we cleared away enough of the debris, we uh, we nurtured our plants with a kelp emulsion, a mm-hmm. uh, foliar spray. Mm-hmm. Kelp has a lot of micronutrients in it. Um, we brew our own compost tea on the farm, and so we put down compost tea to feed them and help nurture them. Uh, get them over the shock of the get hail. Get them over the shock wow. of the hail. And, yeah, we were pretty disappointed that we um, you know, had to cancel the tour for tomorrow. Yeah. But at the same time, it's... Um, it's just an unfortunate yeah. thing that happened. Yeah. But it sounds like your plants are, by and large, many of them are resilient and they're producing They're producing. Again. They're not producing what they were producing before the storm, but they're producing and we can already see that they're, they're, they're getting back to, quote, normal. Good. Oh Some gosh, things we Kim. lost that we just won't get back. We, yeah had just uh, put our hibiscus mahogany splendor on our availability. And it's mm. a beautiful burgundy oh, foliage. I, I know. It. It's amazing. And it's great for fall. And we had sold every bit of stem I probably could have cut oh, for next Kim. week. Yeah. And that's just gone. Yeah. Because so, it's so it's such an herbaceous plant. It is. It's There's no woody component to exactly. it. Exactly. Oh. All right. Well, you deserve good karma for it. For next year, you paid the price this year. Um, I'm really grateful that you were willing to come tell that story because I think um, there's been a lot of natural disasters in flower farming coast to coast this year. And we're sort of um, from fires to the hail to the flooding to the mudslides to now all our friends on the East Coast with the hurricane. And I just, it's like, like you said, you wouldn't be doing this unless you were part crazy. And maybe you didn't say that. You would love no, growing flowers. I think that's a great term. Yeah. <laughs> no, it's. Uh, I Might think be. it's going to increasingly become a challenge. And wh- what whatever your ideas are about, um, you know, I, I believe climate change is real. But wh- whatever you think about that, uh, there is no question that weather is becoming more erratic. Yes. Yes, that's true. Well, before we wrap up, I want to hear your story of how you became a flower farmer. You've done, you've done this now. You're in year five. Is that right? Uh, you alluded to the fact that you were growing vegetables at first. Um, what kind of, where was your epiphany to switch to flowers? How, how, what prompted that? Trying to grow carrots. Oh my <laughs> really? <God>. I <laughs> thought from I was those tiny lose little seeds that make you blind. <laughs> well, just trying to succession plan mm-hmm. carrots. So we had, we were very fortunate. Uh, and I'll talk about my story in a second, but just as a, use the carrot example. First of all, I really appreciate farmers that grow carrots. Let me just shout out to all the farmers out there that grow carrots. You guys are amazing because I got to tell you, <laughs> I about lost my mind trying to grow carrots. We had a customer um, come to us, and they were really a great early partner uh, in supporting our farm. They said, we want to buy all your vegetable out. Wow. Okay. And we're like, okay. Wow. And here's what we need every week. And so we said, okay. And so the amount of hours we spent planning and trying to work out, you know, all that, the, crop. that crop yeah, on, wow. on our farm and all the crops oh, those they wanted. Crops, yeah. Uh, yeah. So uh, anyway, it, it was the, it was the start of conversion of gardening for a long time to commercially producing. Mm-hmm. And that transition was a real eye opener. Mm-hmm. And, and I just, I, I always loved flowers. We even grew a few flowers. And I just said, after the second year, I said, you know, if I'm going to work this hard and not make very much money, <laughs> I want to do something I really love and am drawn to and that pulls my artistic um, interests yeah. uh, out as mm-hmm. well. And we in year three just said okay it's cut flowers that's wow. what we're doing wow when you say we uh, it didn't ask you is it you and your husband it's my, me and my husband okay what's exactly. his name ken okay thank you ken for being part of this Absolutely. journey <laughs> he's uh he's chief chief uh fertility manager on the farm <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> is what i call him because he manages, voodoo, huh? <laughs> he manages all the compost tea brewing we've actually recently turned that over to um a guy that's been great helping us this year his name is chris and uh, Stephanie, a shout out to Stephanie. She's just amazing. 
uh, these two people really support our farm, and then another gal named Moonbeam who's worked with us for three years. Uh, they just couldn't do do it so without got this core. That's neat. Um, you mentioned a story to me before we turned on the recorder about the, something a tomato farmer said to you once, and I think that's a kind of a. Uh, uh, it's almost like a uh, what Yoda would say or something like that. Uh, yes, uh, a, a flower. Uh, sorry, a farmer that kind of mentored us early on um, said to me. Uh, you know, the thing about farming is how many opportunities do you get to learn? How many, if you grow tomatoes for 10 years, that's only 10 opportunities that you've learned how to grow a tomato. That's crazy. And if you think about that in in life, how Mm -hmm. many opportunities we learn to do things in our work or in our play, the repetition, that muscle memory, that knowledge, Mm -hmm. The repetition is part of that. Mm-hmm. And it was such an eye-opener to me that um, it takes a long time to learn uh, how to farm, learn right. about plant. You can read, you can study, you can hear, but until you actually incorporate all those elements and the doing part of it, uh, and it, you never stop learning. Right, right. I love that about flower farmers in general. I, I they're hyper curious and um the successful ones are pushing the envelope like you trialing new flowers and thinking about maybe having a structure someday and just diversifying who you sell to it's like that's what keeps uh you i guess able to make even a better living from your land than when you first started because you're improving every year absolutely that's cool um kim we're running out of time i have to go give a lecture downstairs (laughs) Sure. I'm so glad to be with you. Is what did I anything I didn't ask you that you'd like to wrap up on, uh, wrap up with? Well, you you've asked me uh, about how I came into flower farming. Yes, and I just want to I I find it amusing myself. I want to hear it <laughs> uh, because you know I'm a I'm a girl of the MBA and ran a major division for a corporation. It was my dream all my life to run a corporation. Oh my goodness, this is and all coming out in the last minutes of this interview. <laughs> and I just bring that up because uh, just to share with other people that, you know, I, I mean, I kind of fell off the corporate ladder is how I describe mm-hmm. it. Um, I've utilized all those skills because it takes as a flower farmer and a small business owner, you have to wear so many hats, as you know. Yeah. And um, organization and sales, marketing, production, all those things you have to you have to manage, you that, have to do. All that forecasting and, you're doing. Exactly. Wow. And so um, two things. One is you're never too old to, 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 to jump off the ladder. Um, and you have to be a little bit crazy. Yeah. Um, but I, I have, I will forever be grateful that I had the opportunity in my life to do something that I really love. I loved what you said about there's things you have to do and there's things you must do. And it, I think a lot of people listening to this can, that resonates with them too. It's like a calling almost. And I love that your flowers are, are shared with so many people. And uh, I'm hopefully you'll share some photos that we can put in the show notes so people can meet you, see your flowers, see your farm and follow you on social and root you on to get past this wretched hail. It's incident. And uh, so it looks like you're already, you're already moving on, like turn that page and keep going. Right. Thank you, Deborah. Well, we have we're really grateful to our customers that support us, yeah, and uh, continue to support us. So oh, we wouldn't great. be here without them. I promise to come see you the next time I'm in Denver. Awesome. Very good. <laughs> Thank you so much. This has been awesome. I've just learned so much from you, and I I know this will I think it'll give people food for thought and um, a new way of looking at, at what urban farms are capable of. It's it's changing the landscape of Denver right now in a beautiful way. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Deborah. Thanks so 
much for joining me today. This week, I'll be in Raleigh, North Carolina with the Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers at their annual symposium, where I'll be presenting a preview of the 2019 Slow Flowers Floral Insights and Industry Forecast. I'm eager to connect with so many of you there, and you can be sure I'll have my audio recorder and microphone with me to capture more interviews to bring to listeners, so stay tuned. We have a vital and vibrant community of flower farmers and floral designers who together define the Slow Flowers movement. As our cause gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and I invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right at deborahprinzing.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 363,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. And thank you to our sponsors who are supporting the Slow Flowers podcast. Arctic Alaska Peonies, a cooperative of passionate family farms in the heart of Alaska, providing bigger, better peony flowers during the months of July and August. Visit them today at arcticalaskapeonies.com. The Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliage, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Find them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Longfield Gardens provides home gardeners with high quality flower bulbs and perennials. Their online store offers plants for every region and every season, from tulips and daffodils to dahlias, caladiums, and amaryllis. Visit them at longfield-gardens.com. Syndicate Sales, an American manufacturer of vases and accessories for the professional florist. Look for the American flag icon to find Syndicate's USA-made products and join the Syndicate Stars loyalty program at syndicatesales.com. Johnny's Selected Seeds an employee-owned company that provides our industry the best flower, herb, and vegetable seeds, supplied to farms large and small, and even backyard cutting gardens like mine. Check them out at johnnysseeds.com. The Association of Specialty Cut Flower Growers formed in 1988. ASCFG was created to educate, unite, and support commercial cut flower growers. Its mission is to help growers produce high-quality floral material and to foster and promote the local availability of that product. Learn more at ASCFG.org. Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family-owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S., and we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at Mayesh.com. Certified American Grown Flowers. The Certified American Grown program and label provide a guarantee for designers and consumers on the source of their flowers. Take pride in your flowers and buy with confidence. Ask for Certified American Grown Flowers. To learn more, visit americangrownflowers.org. And the Team Flower Conference, a professional floral event where flower lovers from all over the world gather for networking, learning, and celebration. It's a special time for the floral industry to come together, and whether you're a farmer, designer, wholesaler, or just love flowers, you're invited to attend as Team Flowers dreams big for the industry's future. Head to teamflower.org slash slowflowers to learn more about the 2019 conference in Waco, Texas. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Mm-hmm.